Happy Easter, everybody. I mean, like follow-up, you know. It was really, really, really good. I just got to tell you, 18,000 people, record-breaking Easter for us. Um, 20 services. Thank you for all the things that you've done. It was just a happy Easter for all of us. And uh, following up this Stranger Things series, the idea for us is that there's something supernatural going on on the other side of us. And that obviously happened last weekend as God moved here, as Easter happened in general. And it happened a lot of stories in the Bible, so we're going to talk about that. We just want to say welcome to you. Welcome at our campuses. Welcome online. Um, I left on Easter... uh, Uh, morning, you know, as soon as I got done preaching, got in a truck, drove down to Nashville, got there about 1030 at night. My daughter went into labor at 330 in the morning. And at 1130 the next morning, baby George Timothy Harris was born. Just like clockwork, man. I mean, it was perfect. It was, I mean, it is crazy. And he, uh, he and Charlie are getting along great. Those are my two grandsons in Nashville. Uh, he is not sleeping well. I don't know why they named him after me because that's not going to ever be a good thing for a baby to sleep. But, but George Timothy's doing really well. She had him at one of those uh, witch doctor birthing center places. I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, she went in like at, at 3.30 in the morning, had the baby at 11.30 in the morning and was home for dinner. Yeah, milking the cows on Wednesday, man. I don't know. I'm like, you know, if God didn't want us to take the drugs, he wouldn't have made the drugs, Rachel. But whatever, you do, you do it your way. I know I can get in trouble for saying that. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. Let, let, let's talk about Stranger Things, okay? Um, let, let me start with this, okay? Several years ago, a guy wrote the worst case scenario survival handbook. Um, worst case scenario survival handbook. And it was just like a compilation of different people that are experts in the field saying, okay, here's how to, here's how to survive this certain situation. Like one is how to jump from a building into a dumpster. You might, you m- might not never need to have that, but in case you ever do, I guess there's a certain way to do it. Or how to escape from quicksand. Or how to perform a tracheotomy. A simple knife and a ballpoint pen. You take the ink out. Just, just for me to you. This is a, and the thing is, it sold over a million copies because everybody was like, this is a really interesting read. And some of the advice is very predictable, you know, like how to survive finding yourself in a field with a charging bull. Okay? And, and the advice, number one rule is do not antagonize the bull. Don't say, you stupid bull. I mean, you know, I, I, that seems kind of obvious to me, okay? But some of the advice is a little more demanding. Like, here's how to survive if your parachute fails to open when you jump out of an airplane. I, you see, this is helpful. You see why so many people wanted this book. The first thing they say is, signal to your jumping companion. I don't say what to do if you don't have a jumping companion. I guess it doesn't matter, right? Signal to your jumping companion. Your chute won't open. You know, I don't know what the signal is. And tell them you're having trouble. When your companion and your new best friend gets to you, hook arms together. Now, you're going to be falling at a terminal velocity of 130 miles an hour, but you're going to hold on to each other and open his chute. Now, the problem is there's way more weight than the chute was designed for, so you're probably going to break your arms, maybe dislocate your shoulders. 
And it says you may hit the ground slowly enough to only break a leg, and your chances of survival are quite high as long as you can both hang on. There you go, okay? That, that's a little, my, I didn't know that, all right? And I, now here's where I'm going, because I, I know, you know, in Chicagoland we face certain dangers and certain things that not everybody knows how to deal with. So there was one that I thought was applicable to our situation in the Bible today, and, and, and it's something that we all have to watch out for. How should you act if you're confronted by an angry mountain lion? Okay, you know, you never know, um, suburbs of Chicago, one could show up. So I'm gonna give you a test, okay? You ready for this? Should you A, run? Should you B, play dead? Should you C, make yourself look bigger by opening your coat? Should you D, sing a gentle happy song? Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs. How many of you think it's D? Yeah, I made too much fun of it. You know what it is? C. How many of you thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. I want to make myself look bigger, right? If I, try, I can't outrun an, an angry mountain lion. If I play dead, I'm going to be dead. So I guess that makes sense, right? I'm going to open my coat. I'm going to make myself look bigger. All right. Same situation because, I mean, we have to think about this. But now you have a child with you. What should you do? Number one, pick the child up. B, shield the child with your body. C, shield your body with the child. <laughs> Just depends on which child you have at that moment, right? <laughs> or, or D, run. Because I know you can't outrun an angry mountain lion, but you can probably outrun a small child, all right? So, so what do you think? Anybody got any ideas? It's, it's A. It's A because it's the same idea. It's pick the child up and put them on your shoulders because that will make you look bigger. And, and the deal is, guys, sometimes we live this life. There are situations where we're going to be threatened, probably not an angry mountain lion, but there are times when we need to either make ourselves look bigger or we need to literally be bigger than we really are. And that's the situation in Daniel chapter 3. If you've got iPhones or your Bibles with you, you want to look at this. We're going to talk not about Daniel. Maybe you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den. This is kind of, a, a, kind of the same story with kind of the same crazy king guy trying to make everybody bow down. But, but this is about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're all in a little small group, okay? They're in exile. The children of Israel are in exile with a, a crazy king. This is a lot like when the children of Israel were with crazy Pharaoh in Egypt, except now it's Babylon and it's Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so the, the Jews do not have their own place to be. They're in exile in this other place. And the king is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's pretty crazy, right? The, the deal, the reason that we know about these guys is, and this is a lesson for us right off the bat, sometimes even when you're in a situation, even when you got a crazy boss or there's some crazy person running whatever it is that you're a part of, as a believer... When you're living with God inside of you, you automatically look bigger to the people that are around you. You automatically, God automatically works through you. And that's what's gone on here is that Nebuchadnezzar has seen Daniel and he's seen what God has done through him. And he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he sees what God is doing through them. He doesn't get it. It just makes them stand out because they live with a bigger God shining out from inside of them. Nebuchadnezzar... You know, one of those psycho, crazy rulers, think, you know, North Korea, think 
you know, Saddam Hussein. He makes this big statue of himself, just like Saddam did. He makes this 90-foot statue out of gold. And except the difference between that and Saddam is that not only did he make a big statue of himself, he literally made people bow down and worship it, okay? The herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, O nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So super psycho. And, and it's not just, look, you know, there it is. It's like every time you hear the music, and so the, the text tells us that the people are so afraid of this angry mountain lion king, you know, anytime anything, a door squeaks, they think, oh, that might be music. They're like hitting the ground. It's like, okay, there's music. They're hitting the ground. We're going to hit the ground because everybody's afraid of this guy because he throws people in a furnace. He burns people up. Until one day when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show up, and they decide not to. They decide they're not going to bend their knee. Artist interpretation of it there. You got three guys who are going to stand up while everybody else is falling down because they don't want to worship a false god. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar is going to feel about that? Well, this is interesting. Furious with rage... Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, you just got to pause on that for a second, because obviously he likes these guys. He actually appears like he's giving them a second chance, and Nebuchadnezzar's not a second chance kind of guy. You get thrown into the furnace, but he's like, All right, was I, was I not clear? You know, was I, let, let, me, let me make sure you get this. If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then he asks this question. What God will be able to save you from my hand? Isn't that a great question? Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? Okay. What's that? Who, who's going to do this? Okay. And for those of you that don't understand communication, that's what we in the business call a rhetorical question. When a speaker asks a rhetorical question, he's not looking for information. Do you understand that? Good. See, so you passed the test. You didn't. You did. It's just rhetorical. I know you understand it. It's like when your wife gets home from shopping and you say, "Did you buy anything?" It's a rhetorical question. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so, so when Nebuchadnezzar asks what God will be able to save you, he's not looking for information. He's not looking for a name. He's saying there is no God that can save you because I'm the ruler of the universe. And that's really where Nebi is at this point. He's like Alexander the Great. He's Attila the Hun. He's, he's that guy who has conquered everything, and he's in charge of the known world. But much to his surprise, they don't treat it as a rhetorical question. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, big G, that we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Not what God, but the God. Not little G God, but big G God. Do you see that? And I just need to pause here for a second because this is a statement of remarkable faith. Our God, I believe our God is able to save us even from you, even from a fiery furnace if he wants to. Our God is able. 
I don't think it's possible for us to spend too much time thinking about people of faith in the Bible who stood up and said, I believe what I'm saying. I believe that our God is able. I really believe that. We're going to make ourselves look bigger by putting God on our shoulders, and we're going to be bigger than the 90-foot statue that you want us to bow down to. What we believe, O King, is that you are, yeah, you're in charge of the universe, but someday you're going to get old, someday you're going to die, someday there's going to be a new enemy that's going to come along, and all of a sudden it's not going to be about you anymore. And when that happens, we still believe that our God will really be in charge of the universe. So we're going to live in faith, not fear, every day, no matter what is going on, no matter what we face, our God is able. The God we serve is able to reconcile a broken marriage. That's what I need to remember. The God we serve is able to liberate people from horrible addictions. I've seen it happen. The God I serve is able to heal damaged bodies. I've witnessed it. The God we serve is able to forgive even the deepest, darkest sin and turn people into a new creation through Jesus. That's the God we serve. He is able. The God we serve is able to provide for our greatest needs. He's able to guide us with wisdom. He's able to inspire us with his spiritual gifting that gives us abilities beyond our human ability and makes us bigger than the angry mountain lion. I believe in that God. What God? Our God. Our God is able. I don't think we can find enough of these stories in the Bible to think about because I need to remember that every day. Say that last line with me. Our God is able. One more time. Our God is able. We need to remember that because there are a lot of times where our faith is weak. We need to look at people like this who stood up and said our God is able. But that's not the key part of the story. The rest of the statement is what is the key part of the story because they go on. I believe that our God is able to do all of those things, but even if he does not, We want you to know, King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Don't be deceived, Nebuchadnezzar. We believe our God is able to save us from the furnace, but we're not going to put ourselves in the situation of being God. And even if he does not, we're still not going to do the wrong thing. We're still not going to bow down to the wrong God. We bow down to one and only God, no matter what. I don't know about you. That's not my normal reaction. Is it yours? I don't, I don't like look for fires to go jump into. Do you? Or about this small town down in the valley that was on fire one day. Like the whole town was engulfed in flames. And it was a little small town. It was down in a valley. All sides of it was a hill all around it. It was down in this little holler, this little valley. And volunteer fire departments from all the neighboring communities came over to try to help them out. And the whole thing was so on fire that that none of the other fire trucks wanted to even go down in. Because you had to go right down into the middle of the fire to put it out. So they were all on the outside with their hoses just watching this thing burn and all the townspeople are on the outside watching their town burn up until all of a sudden they look up and they see this truck coming this dilapidated old 50 year old fire truck with old lettering on it that said volunteer fire department from some little town nearby you could barely read it it was so old and dilapidated and it comes up over the hill and it comes right up over the hill and it goes drives right down into the middle of town right down into the middle of the fire 
And as soon as it got down there, all the guys jumped out with their fire hoses and they started putting out the fire and they were putting out the fire all over and they started getting control of the fire. And all of a sudden, everybody else joined in and they jumped in and they were able to save the town. A week later, they had this big, you know, this big party to celebrate this volunteer fire department and they brought the old chief up on stage and they handed him a check. The mayor of the town handed him a check and he said, what do you think you're going to do with it? And And the old fire chief said, well, I think the first thing we're going to do is fix the brakes on that truck. I don't want to go in there. I I, I don't want to go into the fire. That's what I'm saying. Neither did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in your life, what about when it's even when he does not? How how does that work? I mean, I think of so many people in the Bible that were inspiring me in that way, like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I mean, all these bad things the devil is throwing at Job, and Job's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to trust you. At Queen Esther, who's getting ready to go into the king and maybe killed for it, says, you know what? For such a time as this, I was born. If I perish, I perish. Where else could we go, Nebuchadnezzar? We, we believe in our God, and we have faith in him no matter what he decides to do. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was not impressed with their faith. Furious with rage, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was furious with rage, towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he, his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. I, I don't know. I mean, it's already hot enough to burn people up. Now it's seven times hotter because he's mad and he's psycho. And he commanded some of his strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and all their clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. All right? You you got to picture this, okay? They're bound up. they're, They're carried over to the furnace. They're thrown into the furnace. As they're being thrown into the furnace, just imagine the stranger things seen in your life, okay? They turn around as they're going in. They realize that the guys who threw them in died because the fire is so hot. They're going in, and they're waiting for the searing pain, for the numbness, for the smoke inhalation to enter their lungs. They're thinking they're dead. And all of a sudden, they realize either they died really fast or something weird's going on because they're not burning up. And all of their ropes have, been, you know, have come off, and they're not warm, and their clothes aren't burning up. They're, they're literally fireproof. And that's not the best part. All of a sudden, this goes from being a horrible situation to being a, a divine encounter. King Nebuchadnezzar looks in, leaps to his feet in amazement, and asks his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They said, yes, king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What is that all about? It's a fourth member of the furnace club right? And, and, he, and he shows up. Who, who is this guy? The Bible doesn't tell us. Could have been an angel, but I think it was Jesus. I absolutely believe it was Jesus. Doesn't this sound like the kind of thing that Jesus would do? 
And you're like, well, wait, this is like 500 years before Jesus is born. No, 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 no. Jesus was born on the planet to, to be a part of us. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was in the garden with God, his father. That's why God said, let us make man in our own image, plural. Okay, Jesus has always been there. And I, but whether it's an angel or Jesus doesn't really matter. I believe it's Jesus. I believe that he's there. And they're walking around in the very place that they feared the most, having a little meeting, having a little small group. I don't know what they were doing. I mean, you, you, you got to understand how important that is. We talk all the time around here about, about the encouragement of community, right? I don't know if, if Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if they hadn't had the other people around them, if they hadn't had their group, if they could have done what they did, if they could have stood up, but they were able to stand up together and their group became bigger because Jesus showed up in the middle of it, just like he does in your group, just like he does in your furnace situation. That's what's going on. And what did they talk about? I don't know. Did they, did they have a little meeting there? I believe that the very least of things that happened in the middle of that furnace is that Jesus said, hey, your father is really proud of you. He's really proud of you for standing up. That, that's why this whole thing is going on. And by the way, I know you have weird names, but people are going to remember you for the rest of your life. They're going to remember you for the rest of history, man. Abednego. You were like, my mom named me Abednego. No, it's okay because everybody's going to remember you, Meshach, because you're the one who decided to stand up and believe that our God is able, and you were the one who had faith, and people are going to talk about you forever. Way to go. Now, here's the point, and it's not the one I would love to give you, but here's the point. Sometimes God delivers from the furnace, and sometimes God delivers in the furnace. Jesus, I think, said to them the same thing he still says to us, I'll meet you in the furnace, because I'm a furnace kind of a guy. And the problem is the, the place of full devotion to faith in God sometimes looks scary and dangerous and painful, and it may turn out, it usually turns out to be, amazingly enough, the best place of all. For me, it's happened over and over in so many situations in my life. But I can tell you one simple one, and that was when I decided to become the senior pastor of this church. January of 1990. This was a small church of about 150 people, and it was in a bad location with a building that was bad, and it was being held together by a church planting organization. There was no leadership. There was literally no elders. It was just like being held together. It was like duct tape, you know, just like a little, little bit of duct tape, you know, whatever we can do to make this thing stay together. And the problem is there were two factions of groups of people in the church that were left in the church that, that wanted control, and both of them wanted things their own way. So I came to this church. I, I asked people about it. The, the former pastor told me not to come here. One of the other pastors in the area who's now in our church, Hayden Shaw, told me don't go to that church. Just don't tell me not to do something. I'm going to go do it. So I did. I came to this church, and you know what? They were right. It was a big, big, big pile of mess, I'm telling you. And every time I made these people happy, these people were mad at me. And every time I made these people happy, these people were mad at me. And then they were always fighting back and forth and bickering back and forth. And people didn't like me, and people were, people were mad at me. And it was a very, very hard time. It was like it was, it was seven, eight years of, 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 of a furnace. I mean, I can't describe it anything else. It was a furnace. And during that time, multiple times, I said, God, if I'm going to be in a furnace, could it like be in a 
better place? You know, like Maui? That's a, you know, if, you know, if, if, if I'm going to be hot, let's just go straight. You know, I mean, I, I, multiple times I sent out resumes. I thought, you know, I, I asked friends, is there any place you know of that I could go preach at? Because I really don't think I can do this anymore. And God never let it happen. He never let it happen. It just, it just wasn't, wasn't there. Nobody wanted me or it wasn't a good place or whatever. Nothing ever happened in the middle of that furnace time. We just stayed there together. But what happened in the middle of that furnace in my life? The same thing that's happened to you in the middle of the furnaces of your life. Jesus showed up. Made me look bigger. He showed himself through me. And, and you see the result. This is where he wanted me. This is what he wanted me to do. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. But this is the result of staying in the furnace and Jesus showing up. So what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar says, dudes, <laughs> I like your God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of my new most high God. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not stupid. Who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, which is not a good idea, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. This is the best part. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, <laughs> and their houses turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save this way. you got to love Nebby's style, right? No First Amendment rights here for anybody, okay? It's like, worship me or I will burn you. Oh, new God, worship him or I will cut you and blow up your house, okay? That's, that's a leadership style that some of you can relate to, all right? But here's the, important, here's the important part. He says, but no other God can save this way, for no other God can save this way. Why does he know this? Why does he know this? Go back there. I accidentally, yeah. No other God can say this. How, how does he know this? The only reason that he knows this is because of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood up and said, our God is able, and we're going to put our faith in him. And even if he throws us in the furnace, we're not going to bow the knee. Here's the best part of the story. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And when I think about, you know, what God did through my furnace situation, wanting to reach people with Jesus, and, and the platform and the things that have happened, it, it, it's, it's, this is when you stand through the furnace and God works in your life, other people notice, and all of a sudden there are more ways for him to use you. He doesn't just, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just restore them. He lifts them up to new positions and gives them new opportunities. I can't wait to meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego someday. Talk about their stranger thing experience. Ask them if they thought about what it would have been like if they just would have bent like one knee, you know, just kind of like compromised a little bit. 
And don't you wonder if like when they were really, really old, like didn't they, didn't they, didn't, don't you think they got together on the anniversary of this date every year, you know? had a little party, got the robes out that didn't burn up because you know they kept them, and had a little remembrance party, a little furnace party, right? Don't you think? And they remembered that time when they were young men full of courage and faith and defied the king and walked around in the flames and had a stranger thing experience with the Son of God. I know they did. I know they never forgot this moment because I can tell you something. And you know this if you've been through it. If you ever spend time in the furnace, if you ever trust God enough to go to a place that looks frightening and dangerous and scary and trust him fully and refuse to bend the knee to any other God, you know he shows up. And you know you will never forget it. You will carry that moment with you. Going into the furnace, which looked like the last thing they wanted to do, ironically turned out to be the safest place of all. Why? Because our God is able. And sometimes God delivers us from the furnace. And it's, it's totally okay to pray that. I get that. But sometimes he delivers us in the furnace. And we have to be okay with that too. John Orberg wrote about this. He said, I think the greatest danger, maybe the greatest danger for Christ followers is that the primary goal of my life often becomes furnace avoidance. It's that I pray, God, deliver me from pain, discomfort, suffering, inconvenience. Make my life smooth. Make my life easy. Make my life comfortable. Make it pleasant. Remove the obstacles from it. John says, I have this picture of God on my, having a calendar. I know he doesn't have one, but I just have this picture of him having a calendar. And whatever the date was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their deal with Nebuchadnezzar, whatever the time was, like 10 o'clock, that God's got that written down, meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And then I thought to myself, well, what if they hadn't shown up? What if they hadn't shown up? I mean, their, their whole life as an adventure depended on making one decision, their willingness to face the furnace no matter what. And then he says, people, where on his calendar does God have your name written down someplace? I'll meet you in the furnace. And will you make it there? Or will you bend your knee to the wrong God? Maybe the, maybe the brakes need to fail on the truck. Maybe we need to be in the fire so that we can put God on and look bigger and find a fourth man in the furnace. Maybe that's what's going on in your life right now. I hope you'll pay attention because our God is able. He is able. It may be from, it may be in, but he is able. And please remember, Jesus did not say to his followers, hey, everybody, follow me and your life's going to be great. He never said that, did he? You're going to have a great house. I promise you a great house and a traffic spouse, a terrific job, a wonderful car, and an endless succession of easy days if you just follow me. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, take up your cross and follow me. The cross was like the electric chair. Understand? Jesus basically said to people, hey, follow me, and you're going to have a great big God, and you're going to have outrageous joy, and you're going to have crazy adventures, and you're probably going to be in trouble all the time. And they did. They followed him. They followed him by the hundreds and by the thousands and by the millions and by the billions on the same path that he walked on through servanthood, through generosity, in community, through suffering, through persecution, 
into death. That's what they did. That's what some Christians do today while we're practicing furnace avoidance. Rich Mullins was a great songwriter back in the 80s, passed away early. It's a shame. He he had a great line in one of his songs. You'll meet the Lord in the furnace a long time before you meet him in the sky. You're going to meet the Lord in the sky someday. It's all going to be over. No more furnaces. Everything's going to be different. But you're probably going to meet him in the furnace a lot sooner and a lot greater than you ever will outside of it. And I'm not saying that that's something that we need to look like walk into like like I'm not saying that we we need to look around for situations but when it comes to making a choice when it comes to standing up for our faith when it comes to being in situations that we don't know if we can make it we put God on our shoulders and he's taller and he's bigger and whether he helps us out of it or he helps us through it it's all going to work because he promised when you pass through the waters I will be with you that's not when you get on the bridge it's when you pass through the waters And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God says, I will meet you in the furnace. I promise. Our God is able. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just thinking that there are people in the the furnace in their marriage right now. And... um, they may be thinking that the only way for this to work is to get out of it. And maybe you're telling them right now, hey, I know this is a furnace, but I want you to stay there because I'm with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to make a miracle happen. Maybe there's some people suffering with addictions right now, and they just don't think they can get a handle on it. Help them to, to help them to remember that you are able, and even if they're in the middle of it, you are going to help them. Some people with some, some healing issues, some, some physical issues going on right now. And we pray for healing. Lord, we believe that you can, but even if you do not, we're still going to trust in you. Lord, whatever it is, I've got something in my mind right now I'm thinking about that you want me to do that I've been kind of neglecting and thinking, nah, I'll get to that later. And I think I'm supposed to do it and I'm going to. I'm going to stop avoiding that furnace. I'm going to do what you asked me to do because I know that you are able. All of us have something in our life like that. Lord, just as we come to you today, as we worship you today, help us to remember that you are able and that you are the God of the universe and with you on our shoulders, we're bigger than anything. That you always want the best for us. But even if it's in the furnace, it could be the coolest thing we've ever experienced in our life. If we just look around. Be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.